Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen. Okay, so look, this all just happened within the last couple of hours or so, and we're just going to jump straight into it. Scott Hamilton, who's been working a lot on this whole Indian Trail situation with the city council over there, it has been a mess for the last six weeks or so. And there were some major new developments last night. So Scott, who's been the only one covering this out of all the media entities here in the metro area. So Scott, exactly what happened last night and did it take a turn for the worse? Well, they had a meeting um, last night, Brett. And what everybody expected to happen didn't happen. The, um, the downtown project that's fostered a lot of consternation and controversy in Indian Trail, it, it's been kicked down the road. That can's been kicked down the road. They're not going to touch it until after the election, which it'll, it'll weaponize that for anybody running for an elected office down there. That'll now be the, uh, the cause one way or the other for or against. But what, what happened last night had a, uh, a little verbal sparring between a couple of city council members. One city council member came over to another city council member. There were some words spoken. And then apparently it continued in the hallway. And now we have a third city council member saying that one of the other two assaulted assaulted one. They assaulted one of his peers. So it's, it's absolutely in, insane what's going on. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of moving parts, Brad. I'm doing my best to explain it as succinctly as I can right now. But the bottom line is this is a city council. This is a political organization that's as fractured as I've ever seen. And I know it's the local level, but still. It's amazing this government, is that, that town government's able to function. Talking with Scott Hamilton from the WBT Newsroom, who's been covering this situation going on in Indian Trail for the last six weeks with the city council. So, Scott, who are the two parties involved? Tom Ambergy and Dennis Gay. They're, they're both city council members. And, and you can go on YouTube. You can watch the end of last night's meeting on YouTube. There's no sound attached, but you can watch, and you see Tom Ambergy come over, say something to Dennis Gay, and they, they talk a little bit back and forth, and then that's the end of the video. And according to both, this has been corroborated by Dennis Gay. It's been corroborated by Tom Ambergie, as well as um, another person. What, what Tom, Ambergie, Tom Ambergie said was he called uh, Dennis Gay Mr. Disinformation, talking about basically lying to the public and this and that. Dennis Gay says, say it louder so everyone can hear, meaning the, the audience inside the council chambers. Dennis Gay leans forward. You can see him speak, uh, but nobody hears. Okay. Well, they end up in the hallway, and this is where it, it, it continued. Allegedly, they, they kept barking at each other in some form or fashion. Tom Ambergie says that Dennis Gay physically touched him with his stomach. Dennis Gay denies it, but where it gets really weird is that Tom Ambergie didn't reach out to anybody about this. Dennis Gay didn't reach out to anybody about this. But Todd Barber, a third council member, actually sent an email to the, uh, the police chief and the town manager of Indian Trail informing them of what happened. 
And then he tags onto that the literal definition of assault. That's what that's what he does. Now, of course, Dennis Gay, Dennis Gay denies doing any of this. And, and I spoke with him earlier today, and he says that's not what happened. Talked to Captain Hunky and just told him what happened. And you know, I said, you know what? Uh, if I had known, I never would have gotten into this mess. I never would have run. It's a shame, and it makes you really wonder about our democracy. How in the world can we function? And the, and the sad thing is, Scott, one thing I figured out is politics draws crazy people. It does. I've never seen anything like it. So how you wonder how in the world we function as a country. Scott Hamilton from the WBT Newsroom joins us. So, Scott, it should be noted that Tom and Barber, the man who wrote the email, they're on the same side in all this fracturedness, correct? Yes, yes. And, you know, that's the way it's working down there. You've got all these different factions and little groups that are that are working collectively to, to get agendas done. Uh, either it be existing council members or people seeking some council council seats that are going to be available next month. It's, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. The way these things, the way this thing is sex, um, divvied up in the blocks. And, and then I asked Tom Ambergy, I said, "Listen, I said, how how are you guys going to function as a government? How are you going to function as a city council with this kind of rift? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to extend an olive branch to to Dennis Gay? Are you guys going to have a meeting of the minds?" And, and this is what he said to me. Sir, I, I, I'm a good person. You know, I, I fear the Lord, and I always treat people the way I want to be treated. But I'm not going to let someone lie to the public when I know the truth. And my deal is, uh, hopefully, come November 7th, that we can have uh, Dan Schellenkamp as mayor, Heather Klaus as a uh, councilwoman, uh, Larry Dukes as a councilman, and re-elect Todd Barber. As, uh, and he'll remain... Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, and that way we'll have like-minded people that are caring, God-fearing, and uh, want to take care of the town. We have good intentions. So, Scott, where do we go from here between now and election night for the city council in Indian Trail? What's going to happen next? Well, a few things. First of all, the police say they aren't getting involved in it. If one side or the other wants to file charges, that's on them. The police aren't getting involved. Uh, I spoke again Dennis Gay and Tom Ambergy, they say they're not going to file any kind of charges of any sort. Here's the thing, Brett, and you and I have sports backgrounds. The eye in the sky don't lie. Tate tells it all. There's video of this. They're trying to get video right now from that hallway to find out exactly what happened. And, and I think that could be really, really jarring for one side or the other because if, 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 if Dennis Gay did touch Tom Ambergy after denying it, what does that do to him? He's not up for re-election this year, but a couple years away, or vice versa. What if Amber Gee is actually touching him or he didn't touch him? I mean, what if either side could come across as a liar, what does that do not only for their own standing as city council members, but again, these are as blocks. What does it do to the people who, who are aligned with them? So there's a whole lot more to come in this, brother. A whole lot more to come. Scott Hamilton from the WBG Newsroom, who's been the only reporter covering this wild situation going on in Indian Trail with the city council. We really do appreciate it. So when we come back, what really happened with that tennis complex that was supposed to be built that is now staying in Cincinnati? We'll talk about that when we return. I'm Brett Jensen. You're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, 
Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. And guys, follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And guys, if you want to call the show, 704-570-1110 or the other number, 1-800-WBT-1110. Okay, so right now we're going to talk to Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal. He's the one who's been closely following the whole situation with this tennis tournament and the tennis stadium and everything going on with it and the millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars that were going to be given to, you know, to help build this brand new tennis stadium and one of the world's biggest tennis tournaments coming to Charlotte. But it didn't happen. It fell apart yesterday and it's going to stay in Cincinnati and no one has covered this more closely than Eric Spanberg. So, Eric, first of all, thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it tonight. And so let's just start from the beginning. Where did it all go wrong? Why doesn't Charlotte have this tournament? <laughs> you know, I don't know what went wrong so much as I think that the advantage Cincinnati had that was really difficult to overcome is that there is already a facility there, and despite the concerns and inconveniences of not being near the airport and the other things that you heard about it, it's always going to be cheaper to expand, or it's almost always going to be cheaper to expand and renovate an existing structure rather than building from scratch. I mean, that's just basic economics, right? So if you have that advantage, then you add some incentives on top of that, and then, remember, this was the first year that Ben Navarro, the Charleston billionaire who owns the Cincinnati tournament, this was the first year his company operated this tournament. Well, they couldn't have had a better year. Not only great crowds, but they have Novak Djokovic and Coco Golf go out and win the men's and women's singles, respectively, just a couple of weeks before they win the U.S. Open. So I think all of those things built a lot of momentum in Cincinnati's favor. Talking with Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal about the tennis stadium that was going to be built that is no longer being built because the tournament is staying in Cincinnati. So, Eric, there was a lot of money, tens of millions of dollars that was going to be given to this project by the city, the county and the state. Does that money all just go back to its original place? Yes, it does, because there will not be a tennis center built. Because without the private money from the Charleston company that owns the Western and Southern Open, you can't build a $400 million tennis center, and no one has expressed interest in building something smaller. That doesn't mean that some point down the road, maybe people might talk about that, but it's not happening anytime soon. And I thought it was interesting speaking to some of the organizers of the recruiting effort for this tournament. What they said to me, beyond being terribly disappointed, 
is that they were pleased with the way they were able to build this coalition of financial support from the three arms of government, city, county, and state, and that they can use that formula to go after whatever the next thing is, whether it's sports or, you know, a company in some other field. So we'll see how that plays out. The one other thing I want to mention, Brett, is while I think it is accurate to say that Cincinnati had a lot of advantages working in its favor and that Charlotte's bid was strong, I'm sure there are things that many of us, uh, like me, don't know uh, that, uh, you know, could have been done better. That's just a natural part of any bid. I don't mean it nefariously. I just mean, you know, there there were hiccups. Uh, and I think there are obvious things to consider when they think about those next things, such as there was a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a disagreement or uncertainty about whether the county was going to put in $30 million or $40 million, you know, those kinds of things. Making a bid run smoothly and keeping everyone together is always difficult. So I think those are some of the things that they will be looking at here in the weeks and months ahead. Talking with Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal about the tennis stadium situation that fell apart yesterday. So, Eric, we see this all the time in sports. One team is thinking or threatening to leave one city to move to another city. And they really never want to leave, so they just use the new potential city against the current city to get what they want. Do you think that's what happened here in Charlotte, that Charlotte was just being used? That's a great question. It's the question that always comes up when you come up short in one of these efforts. And I honestly don't know the answer to that yet. I think one of the most interesting aspects of searching for an answer to that question is how impressed and effusive local leaders were with Ben Navarro, who is the billionaire in Charleston who owns not only the Charleston Women's Professional Tennis Tournament, but this tournament in Cincinnati. And you may be thinking, and people listening to this may be thinking, well, sure, what else were they going to say when they're trying to get his event? But it went beyond kind of the standard boilerplate oh, he's a great fellow, and we'd love to have his business in town. It was bordering on rapturous about all of the philanthropy he has done in Charleston. What a great fit he would be in the Charlotte community. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get him involved in other aspects of business here? And remember, Brett, he was one of the top rival bidders for the Panthers, uh, when the sale ultimately went to David Tepper. So he is at least a little bit familiar with Charlotte. Uh, so that um, makes me think that maybe this was more than just, you know, finding someone else to ramp up the bid, but we don't know. We may never know. I think we're going to have to have some more information come out before we can even begin to make a safe guess on that. Talking with Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal about the new tennis stadium that will no longer be and the tournament that was going to be coming here. It's one of the world's biggest tournaments that's not going to be coming to Charlotte now. It's going to stay in Cincinnati. So, Eric, one of the other things that I heard, one of the rumors that I heard was that basically Cincinnati pulled a godfather. Cincinnati made an offer they couldn't refuse. (laughs) 
as I said, yeah, they they came. It was interesting because remember the chronology of this. Uh, talks were going on for several months early in the year, and then I believe it was late spring that this all burst out into public view, and there was a, a joint meeting with the city and county economic development committees, if my memory is serving me uh, correctly. And at that time, Cincinnati and Ohio seemed to be caught flat-footed. They didn't really seem to have that strong of a counter-proposal assembled, but it really gained steam as the summer went on. And you're right. I think that you combine that again with the success of that tournament in August, and that left a lasting impression that obviously was impossible for Charlotte to overcome. Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal, I really do appreciate your time tonight. And like I said, I know this happened yesterday, but I really just wanted to do a postmortem and an autopsy of everything that happened because more information comes out the longer this thing goes. So again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really do appreciate it. And as off he goes, we now head on over to the WBT Newsroom with Keith Young. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. That's the telephone number, but also add 1-800-WBT-1110 into your repertoire for the telephone number here because... We've only got two numbers that are working right now. And if you want to get in, you got to use one of those two. That's just the way it is right now. Okay, so look, earlier today, Pete Callender, during his show, The Pete Callender Show, had a chance to interview Speaker of the House Tim Moore. There's a lot going on up in Raleigh, even though they're going to be taking about a two-week break now. And the next big thing is all going to be the redrawing of the lines and the districts for the State House and the Senate and the North Carolina, uh, or the representatives up in Congress. So there's going to be a lot of things going on. Lawsuits are definitely going to probably follow. But there's a lot of things in this interview that I think you'll be interested in. So I wanted to replay it. So here's Pete Callender talking with North Carolina Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, earlier today. Uh, I want to welcome to the program the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives, Tim Moore. Uh, Speaker Moore, how are you, sir? Hey, Pete, good to be with you today. Hope you're doing well, sir. I am. I mean, as well as can be, just, you know, following all of the, uh, I guess, the the outbreak of World War III, it appears. Um, so uh, y'all did something in the, in the House yesterday, uh, which I thought was, I mean, it was kind of, I don't want to say run of the mill, but this stuff happens all the time, right? Resolutions in support of various things, whether it's, you know, tomato sandwiches or support for Ukraine or something like that, right? So uh, what was it that y'all ran yesterday that apparently uh, it was uh, you were unable to get a unanimous uh, uh, bipartisan, everybody on board for this resolution? We ran a resolution, Pete, in support of Israel, asking for our, our federal government to do all it can in terms of resources to make sure that we that we protect the sovereignty of Israel, it stand, it taking a stand against this violence, this murder. I mean, I mean, it, it, something you know, like so far, like forty ba- literally babies have been murdered and beheaded. Uh, you have you have women who've been raped and murdered, bodies dragged through the streets in celebration, entire families burned alive in their homes and cars. I mean, these these are brutal, ruthless evil terrorists 
who were doing this. And and this hit close to me because I traveled to to Israel a few years ago and actually visited. There was a kibbutz that where there were I think about seventy people who were killed out of two hundred that lived there. Pete, I actually visited that kibbutz a few years ago. It's right on the outside of of Gaza, um, and I was pulling up some pictures from my phone and showing them to my staff. And like, you know, this is the area. This is you. Know, this is what's happened. But you know, our national security is impacted so much you know, because of you know, Israel has been a consistent friend of the United States. It is the one true democracy in that region of the world. And you know, if, if, if we can't take a stand for that, if we can't take a stand to support those people, to oppose terrorists like Hamas that are doing what they're doing, then, then, then what can we do? And to your point, the thing that to happened yesterday, um, all of the folks who were on the House floor voted for it. Uh, but about 12 Democratic members literally walked off the floor and did not vote for it. They just walked off the floor. And it is just, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm shocked by that. I'm surprised by that. I'm disappointed by that. Because, you know, while we may have our differences between Democrats and Republicans in North Carolina on different things, there ought to be those key points when everybody puts aside politics and can take a stand for what's right. And and I don't know if you've seen, I mean, we had one, we had one mayor, I'll, I'll give you how caustic it's gotten. One of the members, a uh, representative, her name's uh, Von Hafen mm-hmm. from, uh, from, from here in Wake County, actually made it, put a statement out on social media that she chose to walk away because she felt like this uh, resolution was just trying to uh, uh, leverage it and take a distraction away from other bills that were passing. Let me be very clear. Opposing evil is not a political distraction, and it's incumbent on each and every one of us to unite against evil and support our friends in Israel. So it is, uh, it, but but you know, a lot of the mainstream media have not talked about the fact that twelve of the Democratic members wo- chose to walk out, and I, I wasn't even going to say anything about it, but it's been picked up by Carolina Journal, and then when I saw where one of the members had the gall to post what uh, what she did on online on social media, I just I shaking my head, but. I mentioned one other thing. You may not know this, um, but at, at UNC Chapel Hill, and believe me, uh, I, I just got this about 10 minutes ago, so this is very new information, and I'll be calling the administration here when I'm done with this radio interview. There's a group called UNC Students for Justice in Palestine. They're mobilizing something called a Day of Resistance Protest for Palestine. Let me tell you how ridiculous what they've done. They've got a flyer that they put around and it shows a guy flying in on a, on a uh, on a paraglider, and then shows people there yelling or doing something below it. And it's, I mean, they are endorsing this that that murder. You remember the paragliders mm-hmm. were these murderers who flew in and just killed people. Well, they're I mean, they're they attacking from uh, the north now, out of uh, Hezbollah-controlled yeah. Lebanon as well. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, why would why would why would anybody who loves freedom? Why would anybody support this kind of senseless violence? It needs to be condemned, but more importantly than being condemned, it needs to be dealt with. And as the, as the superpower in the world, we don't need to stand by idly and allow this junk to happen. So, but this is the, and this is part of the argument against critical theory. This is, it's all embedded in the Black Lives Matter philosophy uh, at the top, you know, from their, uh, from their writings. This is what decolonialization is, Right. I mean, when you look at yeah. uh, at the the chart or the, the course that they chart through their literature, 
this is precisely what it is. And at least I give some of the uh, the activists some uh, credit for being honest. Some of them in the last three days have articulated that very point that, you know, what did you think decolonializing uh, these areas meant? Well, this is what it means. It means murdering and literally exterminating entire groups of people so you can take back the land. Right. It, it's, 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 you know what? It is pure evil, Pete. It is pure evil, nothing short of it. And, I mean, the, these people are being targeted because they are Jewish. Uh, that, that, is, that is the ultimate hate crime that's happening right there. And so many on the left, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, I hope it's not many. I, I, so I want us to back. I hope it's not that many. I hope it's literally just the nuts, right, that, that, that people, regardless of their political beliefs, don't subscribe to the notion that it's that it's okay that's what's happening and i guess well you know time will tell but it really like i say here right here in good old north carolina it surprised me that you know this is happening at unc folks are praising this and that uh and that you also have a a number of members who just didn't take a stand Mm -hmm. and you know there's sometimes like say you just got to put aside politics and take a stand for what's right i think a lot of them may uh, be uh cowed by uh the vocal uh group in their coalition right on the democrat side of the aisle i mean because i do differentiate between liberals and leftists they're different and i think that the liberals are afraid of the leftists among them so they they can't afford to cross them i think that's why you saw them walk out rather than take a vote because I mean, just politically speaking, and I guess we saw it when when you guys overrode the governor's veto a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Deb. Oh, goodness. And she started screaming at you. I will not. Uh, Butler. Deb Butler oh, yeah. started screaming at you. Um, like, had they just uh, taking a walk is the coward's way because, it, you know, just why not just vote for it and then run your own resolution in support of people being, you know, innocent people being killed in Gaza if, if that's the issue. And. The fact that uh, Julie von Hafen tries to tie it to these other unrelated issues as if it's a distraction. It's a simple resolution. It would have passed and you move on. And they actually drew more attention to it. In other words, like they played the politics on it wrong, too. Yeah, com- completely. I mean, she. Uh, what I would say is that she showed her true colors on this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that she and the others who walked out had been there for the other seven votes that we'd had that day. We confirmed a judge, we did the, uh, the the five veto overrides, and we passed another bill and participated in all those things. And when it came time for this, and I felt like it was important, frankly, on the timing, it was the last thing we took up. And I thought it was important that, you know, it, to kind of show the strength of a representative democracy, that at the end, at the end of the day, after we've had some differences of opinion, which were relatively mild, but differences of opinion, that we could all come together in something that was unified and make a strong statement on behalf of the you know, roughly 11 million people in North Carolina condemning this violence and calling for an end to it and calling for the right thing to be done. That a number of folks took a walk. And again, I don't want to politicize it. I don't. I, say, I even hesitated to say a thing, anything about it. But when Representative Von Hafen chose to make it political, you know, that kind of kind of brought it to the surface. And so now I'm getting a lot of questions from folks. We were really surprised that that some on the you know the ultra left are doing this. Yeah, you know we had a legislator in in our area in Cabarrus County who joined in with that as well. So, yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, Nasif so, yeah. Majid also out of uh, Mecklenburg as well. Uh, I think he took a walk as well. Um, and I've got Julie von Hafen's statement. I'm going to go over it in a minute, but we'll let you run, uh, Speaker of the House Tim Moore. Thanks for your time today, sir. We appreciate it. 
Pete, great to be with you. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you covering this and uh, doing what you do out there. Take care. Right. Yes, sir. You too. Appreciate it. So there you have it. North Carolina Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, on with Pete Callender on Pete Callender's show earlier today. And there are a lot of things still going on in Raleigh, like a lot of things going on in Raleigh. And there are a lot of things yet to be figured out, like we talked about. What's going to happen with the congressional districts? What does that mean for Jeff Jackson? Will he run for attorney general? Will he uh, just go, you know what? I'm not going to run for attorney general of North Carolina. I'm going to sue. Is he going to be one of the people that sue? I don't think he will, but it wouldn't surprise me. And so the question is, who's going to sue? Because the moment these lines are drawn, there are going to be an abundance of lawsuits. I mean, a lot of lawsuits. And they're going to be coming from all the sorts of directions. And most of them are going to be like, you know, the NAACPs and stuff like that. And you may have individuals, maybe Jeff Jackson sues because they might do away with his district. And if they do away with his district and he doesn't want to run for attorney general, or maybe he'll run for attorney general begrudgingly, but at the same time still sue. I mean, he told me in an exclusive interview, he loves serving in Washington, D.C., and he thinks he's getting a lot done there. So I don't know why he would necessarily accept the lines if he doesn't want to leave, but there are going to be a lot of people getting ready to sue left and right. So I hope Tim Moore and the NCGA understands that, the North Carolina General Assembly, I hope they understand that, North Carolina Senate, I hope they understand that, and I'm sure they do, but I hope they already have their ducks in a row going, okay, before we put this out there, what are we going to do as our defense? Because they're going to need one. All right, when we come back, let's do a couple of other things before we send you off into the night. I'm Brett Jensen, and you are listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Wednesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the telephone numbers to call the show. And guys, I tell you this all the time. Follow me on X slash Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. I know I say that a lot, but it's true. If you want to know what's going on first, follow me on Twitter, especially for all the important stuff. Okay, so look, earlier tonight, we talked to Eric Spanberg about the whole tennis situation in the tennis stadium and how it just went up in smoke. And the tournament, one of the world's biggest tournaments, is going to stay in Cincinnati and not come to Charlotte after all, even after the city of Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, and the state of North Carolina all agreed to give tens of millions of dollars to help build this tennis complex. But while I had Eric on the phone, I wanted to talk to him about Major League Baseball. Last week on WFNZ, I was asked by Jeff Rickard 
what were my thoughts on Charlotte being able to support a Major League Baseball franchise? He didn't necessarily like my answer because I said, I don't think it can. Like after the first two or three years, after the newness wears off, what are you going to do in, you know, for the rest of the time? You know, year four, year five, year six, especially if the team's on, team isn't very good. How are you going to support it? And so I asked Eric Spanberg that very question on whether or not he thinks Charlotte can support a Major League Baseball franchise. I'm going to flip it around on you because I am an evasive <laughs> interview subject. And so I'm going to say it this way. Where else are they going? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not guaranteeing that Charlotte or Raleigh or pick some other place in North Carolina, uh, Murphy, Mantio, whatever, is going to get a Major League Baseball team. But I just don't see many places for them to go. Everyone says Nashville. Maybe they go to Nashville. I don't think Nashville is any better of a sports city or sports area than Charlotte and maybe not better than Raleigh. Uh, then where are we going, Brett? We're looking at Montreal. I don't see that happening. Mexico City, I don't see that happening. Salt Lake City is half the size of Charlotte. Portland, maybe. I don't know. Oakland, are you going back there? So I, what I'm saying in a very long-winded way is there aren't too many spots on the map, so it wouldn't shock me if Major League Baseball wound up in North Carolina. You're absolutely right. Tuesday night, and by the way, the Twins were still in the playoffs as of this conversation. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not past this conversation. But, yes, Tuesday night against the Twins or whoever it is, you're not going to have anybody. But have you watched the Yankees on a Wednesday afternoon? Have you watched the Washington Nationals and almost any other team? These Major League teams live on the weekends. Weekdays are not going to be good wherever you are. Would it be a stretch? Yeah, it would be a stretch. Would somebody probably suffer in that equation? Yes, but I don't think so detrimentally that anyone's going to leave. In other words, I don't think you're going to lose the Panthers or the Hornets or Charlotte FC because you have baseball. So it's not beyond the realm. The big piece of this, Brett, is, as you know, is Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes in Raleigh, is the first person to raise his hand and really say, hey, I want to make baseball happen in North Carolina. We've heard nothing in Charlotte as far as business leaders or potential bidders, and we've heard nothing from outside North Carolina of another David Tepper or fill-in-the-blank billionaire who may want to bring a baseball team here. So right now, the conversation starts and ends with Tom Dundon and whoever his friends are. So I, that's my answer to baseball, and my God, that was longer than nine innings. Well, there you have it. And, you know, here's my whole thing on this. Like I told Eric, okay, what are you going to do in May when the kids have school the next day and the Charlotte team is playing the Kansas City Royals or the Minnesota Twins or some of the other teams that nobody cares about that's not very good? How many people are going to show up? I understand the first few years, it'll be fine. People will show up. People will drive in from Kannapolis and Lincolnton and Hickory and, you know, and, and Gaffney. I get that. They will make the drive early on especially to see the teams they want to see, and especially in the summer. But what about May? What about September? What about after school starts at the end of August? What's going to happen then, especially when the Panthers are in full swing? And this team's not very good. Can Charlotte support a Major League, major league Baseball team? I, I, I don't know. I just don't know if Charlotte's big enough. It's getting there. But I will also tell you this. North Carolina is the ninth most populated state in America. And... Because of that, 
Major League Baseball may want to be here. Now, it's very spread out. There's a lot of ruralness between here and South Carolina. A lot of farms, a lot of undeveloped areas. But it is also the most ninth populated state in the country. You're not that far from Columbia, Spartanburg, Greenville, Greensboro, Asheville, Fayetteville, you know, two and a half hours from Raleigh. If you got some Yankee fans in Raleigh that want to come down or Braves fans that want to come down to Charlotte and watch the team instead of going all the way up to D.C. or Baltimore or Atlanta, that may be a thing. That may be a thing. But here's the thing. The, it, the example I gave was on a Tuesday night in May. That's just one day. Baseball usually plays like five, six, seven, eight days in a row. So you're going to have to fill that Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. You're going to have to fill all those nights, all those school nights, back to back to back, like every single night. It's not just a Tuesday night and then they're off for another week and a half. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and again Sunday. So that's the big question that I have. And I just don't know if Charlotte's big enough. Maybe it is, but it's just the suburbs. And here's the thing. Maybe it is big enough. Maybe you're like the Pittsburgh Pirates where you get 20,000 people to a game every night. That's fine. But do you think that's going to be enough revenue to like actually compete against the big boys? Or are you going to be finishing you know, with, I don't know, 70 wins every year and a good year is 85 or 90 wins uh and then you can't afford the players so you're gonna have to sell them off like the pittsburgh pirates do every single year or the kansas city royals or the oakland a's so that's the question okay fine you get a baseball team but what happens if you get good are you gonna have to dismantle it and just sell it off piece by piece that's the question and how how happy will you be if they're selling off their biggest young players because they can't afford the new contracts But I did want to touch base on this because Eric and I did talk about that, and I was asked about this last week. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for tonight. Thanks to Eric Spamberg, and also thanks to Scott Hamilton. We're going to do this all over again tomorrow. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.